Well, what's up, church? Everybody good? Yes, man. 11.15, y'all showed up today. I love it. Um, hope that y'all are good. Y'all ready for school to start back? Yes. All the kids are like, no. All parents are like, amen. <laughs> Say it louder in the back. Uh, um, one of the things I, I wanted to do this morning is um, just because I have a biased opinion with this, but man, I, I am so appreciative of our teachers and educators and staff, admin that work in our school system, even homeschool. I know being a teacher is a lot of hard work, and um, I always say you're, you're one of the hardest workers in America, and you're way underpaid. And so what I want to do is if you are a teacher, if you don't mind, hopefully you're not embarrassed, if you're able, will you just stand so we can appreciate you as a teacher, teachers? Yes, absolutely. Yes, there we go. Hey, thank you guys. Thank you guys so, so much. Man, we appreciate y'all. I said this for the first service, but especially post-COVID, I feel like teachers no longer are just teachers. They're IT support techs, UFC fighters, school counselors. They're like everything, right? And so we are, uh, I just want to quickly just pray for you. And um, hopefully this year is better than last year. And all the teachers said... All right, okay, because I know post-COVID there's some bad habits and some, you know, angry parents like most of us in this room. Um, that Just kidding. That, uh, man, it's a hard, hard job. So, hey, let's just pray for our teachers, and then we'll dig into God's Word this morning. Uh, Father, we are so thankful that with the start of a new school year that we have incredible men and women that pour into the lives of our children. And it doesn't matter what school or what grade level that they are at, that it really is a calling to be an educator and to work in the school system. And it's not the most glorious job, but it is so important for the life and education of our kids. And so, Father, would you just go before them as they start um, with kids tomorrow um, that, God, you just give them your wisdom, your strength, and let your spirit just counsel them. And as, every single day that they walk inside the school, instead of it being like, ah, oh, I got to go back to work, let it be an opportunity to show kids and parents and other co-workers who you are, that you are the hope and you are the strength. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, that's where we're going to be. Um, but as um, always, when we start a brand new series, there's some legwork to get to where we need to be this morning. And um, as we start this new series called Back to Basics, and I want to kind of give you some, at least some context of why we're doing this. If you look at the teachings of Jesus throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the New Testament, you see really something that is consistent, a consistent theme across the teachings of Jesus, his interactions one-on-one -on -one or with a group, whether he's correcting, whether he's ministering, whether he's preaching, if you will, this consistent theme that can be boiled down to one word. And it might seem really simple on the surface, and it really is. And that one word that we see consistently is belief. Now think about this. In the Gospel of Matthew, there's a centurion Roman soldier that comes before Jesus and says, hey, my servant is paralyzed and he's been lying down all day and I need you to do something, Jesus. And now the goodness of Jesus' grace, he heals him and he says, let it be done. So now go because you have believed. Then we see in Mark uh, chapter 1, when Jesus is just at the very uh, beginning of his ministry, he says, now the time has come. And he goes, he says, the time is at hand for people to repent and what? Believe. 
So you see this word believe. In Luke, there's this incredible story that um, one of the rulers of the Jews, the scripture says, named Jairus, he comes, his uh, daughter is on her deathbed. She's super sick. She's about to die. She, he runs to Jesus, says, I need you to do something. He's like, okay, let's go see her. He's on the way. There's a crowd. There's a lady with a blood disorder who um, touches Jesus. He heals her. And at that time, some of Jairus' friends come and say, hey, unfortunately, your daughter is now dead. And he turns to Jesus, you know, as you can imagine, as a dad, just distraught. And Jesus says this, do not fear, only believe. She will be well. And then in John 3, 16, uh, John chapter 3, you see this ruler of the synagogue named Nicodemus who comes to Jesus in, at, the, at the nighttime in secret because he doesn't want the other like religious Pharisees and rulers to see him there. But he's really questioning all kind of stuff about who Jesus is, but really he authentically and genuinely wants to know. It's like, what does it mean to be a follower of you? What does it mean to be born again? And Jesus is going through this, and we come to John three sixteen, which most of us know, where Jesus tells Nicodemus that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever what? Believes. Whoever believes in me or in him will have everlasting life. And so we see this concept of belief over and over in the teachings of Jesus. And unfortunately, on the forefront, for many of us, it's like, is that it? You just got to believe? It seems really simple. And I would say yes. But so often in the performance-based, results-driven society that you and I live in, too often when it comes to following Jesus, we're more focused on the outcomes of our faith than the means of our faith. Are you following me? That so often it's like, okay, if you want to be a Christian, we kind of skip the whole faith belief thing. And it's like, okay, you want to become a Christian? You need to do good things. You need to clean up your act. You need to stop cussing. You need to stop this and stop, you know, start this, stop this. You got to pray five times a day. You got you to get Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest devotional. It's like, you know it. You have to do this. You have to do that. And it's like we start to do all these different things and we make it super complicated. And I'm not saying that there shouldn't be fruit from our relationship with Jesus but oftentimes we say, do all these things. Once you're fluent in Christianese, you know what I'm talking about? Like the Christian language lingo, like hedge of protection, you know, and hey, brother, you know, all that stuff. Once you're, once you're fluent in those things, then congratulations, you've passed Christianity 101. And a token of your award, uh, um, your award is you can now put a silver Christian fish on the back of your minivan, right? And it's kind of like, that's it. You've reached the pinnacle of life. And you're like, yes, I'm a Christian you know, now all I have to do is play upward sports and join Awanas, you know, or something like that. And I'm not saying those are bad things, but oftentimes we don't put a lot of reasoning and heart and devotion to understanding what exactly are the Christian beliefs. And I would dare to say that over time, maybe in this room, room, in the definitely the culture we live in, we have a lot of people that don't know what they believe, much more why they believe it. And so over time, you know this, I know this, that in our culture, we have seen really over time um, this, this idea that believing in God can mean a lot of different things. It takes on a lot of different forms and definitions and, and things like that. So for instance, to some people, 
Being a Christian means that you're hypocritical and you're homophobic. Let's just be honest. That's how people would define Christianity. Some people would say Christians, uh, Christianity looks like what I would call uh, legalism. That you, you only read New King, New King James only version because that's God's Bible, you know. That you have to wear certain things, you have to do certain things, this, this, and this to a T in that form. Some would say, oh, you want to be a Christian? We got to love Jesus, you got to love guns, and you got to vote Republican, right? You know, like some of us would say, hey, you want to follow Jesus? Then God is a God of love, and we just can tolerate all things, and he doesn't bring justice. He, there is really no sin. There really is no hell, because why would a loving God do that? So as you can see, all of these different things have taken a different shape or form than at the time when Jesus says, just believe. We've like overcomplicated it, redefined it, and all kind of different things. And the truth is, is that we are losing, uh, we've been losing, it's not just now, but we are losing core Christian beliefs to cultural trends, philosophies, and politics. And the thing is, is that what we want to do as a church is get into God's word and through this series called Back to Basics, get to the core beliefs of what Christianity is. And here's why this is important. And I've said this in a lot of different ways over the course of however many years, that it is our belief in God that directs everything about us. It is our belief in God that directs everything about us. Now notice I use the word belief. I don't use the word knowledge because knowledge doesn't really direct. I know a lot of things that I should and shouldn't be doing. That doesn't mean I necessarily do them. You with me? I know I should probably not eat a bowl of ice cream at 1030 at night. Self-confession. Okay, let's pray. Um, last night. I know I shouldn't do that. I know I should work out. I should drink more water. But until it really, really matters and I get to the point where I'm like, okay, I need to lose some weight, you know, then, then it matters. And the same is true in our faith, that it's not just the knowledge, it's really the belief. It is central and rocks us to the core that we say, this is what affects how I parent, how I live my life, how I'm, I show up to work, how I do things in my marriage, all of those different things. And if that is shaky, then the outcome is going to be shaky. You following me? And so over the next seven weeks, we're in this series called Back to Basics. And what we're going to do is look at some core beliefs of the Christian faith. My hope and my desires, desires at the end of this, that we would collectively be stronger in our faith, be stronger in our beliefs. Maybe some of you would be like, oh, I've always heard that, but now I actually know why I believe that. I actually see it wasn't just Pastor or Brother John one day when I was a kid. And in order for us to do that, obviously we're looking at Scripture, we're looking at the Bible, God's Word. But we are going to also look and use one of the most um, historically grounded um, documents, if you will, in all of the Christian community known as the Apostles' Creed. Now, let me kind of say this. We're using this as a framework. I'm not preaching the Apostles' Creed and then sprinkling some Scripture. We're going we're gonna to use Scripture. But the framework of the Apostles' Creed gives us great definition to really core beliefs. Now, you grew up in like a more liturgical church background, Lutheran, Catholic, maybe Anglican, Presbyterian. Some of you are geeking out right now. You're like, yes, I've always wanted to do the creeds. This is awesome. 
Some of you who grew up that way said, I have, you might say, I have PTSD from that, so that's not, okay? Like, I hate the whole creedal thing. If you grew up Baptist your whole life, you're like, creed, like, what is, what is that? This preached a word, man, you know? And some of you are kind of on the fence, like, you have no idea what I'm talking about. I say Apostles' Creed, and you think I mean Apollo Creed from a Rocky movie, or you think I'm like Scott Stapp, like, with arms wide open, okay? That was free of charge, by the way. That, that's Creed, the band, okay, go listen to it. But Apostles' Creed is this incredible document and this statement, really a pledge of commitment to the core beliefs of the Christian faith created in the second century. And because what we see is that over time, even in the early church, this wasn't a new problem that me and you face, that people from the outside were beginning to redefine what Scripture looks like. Even Paul talks to the, and writes a letter to the church of Galatia. He says, man, I'm astonished that you're walking away from Christ and that you are turning to a different gospel. And if you were here during our counterfeit gospel series, we talked through that a little bit. But as a church, we really want to look at this, and my hope is that we can really walk away with uh, a more robust understanding of this. And so here's what I want to do. I'm going to, it's going to be on the screen. I want to read the Apostles' Creed, because some of you are like, I have no idea. You might see it and be like, oh, I know what that is now. Um, and I'll just, I'm going to forewarn you, we will um, read this occasionally through this series collectively. Because as we're doing this, we're actually invited into this incredible document and these words of commitment that have been a part of the Christian heritage for a long, long time. Now, let me say this as a connotation to that. As followers of Jesus, as Christians, we don't believe in incantations. And what I mean by that is some chance, some you say this, and all of a sudden you get the job you want, and you're lucky now, and go play the lottery, okay? That's not how this works. This is just a pledge uh, of faith. It has no authority on our lives per se because what does have authority is what it points to in that scripture. So let me read this and you can follow along on the screen as it will be up there, all right? So here's the first line and we'll walk through this and we're gonna camp out on the first two lines this morning. It says this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From hence, um, he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. Now let me just kind of side note. When it's saying the Holy Catholic Church, it, at the time, the Catholic Church that we know it did not exist. So the word and the terminology here means universal, the universal church. Every believer that confesses this. Okay, you following me on that? All right, I don't want you to get hung up, but we'll, we'll hit that in a couple weeks. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Men. And so that is the creed. We're going to be walking through that. As I mentioned this morning, we are going to hone in on these first two lines that I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Now, for many of us, if you grew up in the South, if you've been to um, church, you know Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
earth, okay? You know that. But with that statement, as simple as it is, it's very complex. As the Bible and, and God's word starts with that, a lot of questions can be raised from that, okay? Like my kids have asked, if God created everything, who created God? Why did he create everything? Was God bored, right? Why, why does the cosmos and, and everything exist? What, what's the purpose and the existence of space and planets and solar systems? Now, any intelligent person, those are questions that you just can't avoid. And as a Christian, our belief, not just based on one verse, but throughout all of Scripture, and then this uh, Apostles' Creed definitely affirms this, is that we believe in Christianity that God created everything, that he is um, the maker and creator of all. And so the creed starts with I believe in. I believe in is really this Latin term credo, that's where we get creed, that says not just I believe of or have the knowledge of, but I, I trust this. This is me. I, th this belief is inside of me. And we see that God or the, um, um, the affirmation of this creed then says that God is Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 17, this incredible moment that Paul is in front of some authorities at the time, and he proclaims and affirms the same understanding. Now, let me give you some context of where we're at in Acts. Jesus has done his ministry. He died. He ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit came he actually visited Paul, who was a Christian killer. Paul's life was radically changed, became a missionary, started planting churches. And in, in that time frame, he's planting churches, he's preaching the gospel. And in a town of Lystra, he actually is stoned. They leave him for dead. They think he is dead. Um, and his followers in the church come and get Paul's body. They drag him back into town, bring some healing. And I love this about Paul. Um, if you know this, if you study him, I would say that Paul is gloriously stubborn, okay? That he is just a stubborn, stubborn man. And so he's like, ha ha, you try to stone me? That's not gonna hold this man down. So he goes back out and he preaches. And he comes in encounter with this slave and this, um, um, this slave owner. And the slave is a woman, she's demon possessed. And the slave owner is actually using her to make money. This is how he lives. And I love what scripture says because Paul and his partner Silas encountered this woman and scripture says that Paul is annoyed at the woman. He's like, man, she's getting on my nerves, okay? And so he heals the woman. Don't you wish that you could do that? Like sometimes my kids get on my nerves and I wish I could heal them, all right? I'm like, you're spawn of Satan, kid, okay? And so, and so he just is like, I'm annoyed. He heals the woman. And now the, the owner the, um, is like, what in the world? That's how I made my income. So he reports it to authorities. The authorities come and arrest Paul and Silas, throw them in jail. Well, Paul, being glorious, stubborn, and um, with this, him and Silas are praying. They're, they're worshiping. They're singing hymns, Scripture says. And God has this earthquake happen, and all the prison uh, cell doors open up. And the guard who was responsible to watch them, he wakes up. And because of Roman law, he was responsible for their lives. And because he thought everybody was going, he's like, I'm about to kill myself because it was like a life for a life. And so the guard is, pulls out his sword and Paul says, whoa, 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 don't hurt yourself. And I love this. This is how the guard responds. He doesn't say, oh, thank God, close the door, buddy. Okay, I have the keys. His first response to Paul and Silas is, 
what must I do to be saved? Well, essentially what he's asking is, he says, I see your life is a little bit different. What must I do for my sins to be forgiven and my life to be changed so that I can spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. I want to go to heaven. What must I do? Paul's simple response, he didn't say, you know what? Uh, you need to have perfect attendance at Sunday school and, and you have to put a Christian fish on your camel, okay? He didn't say that. He says, you have to believe in the Lord. Believe in the Lord. And what is so radical about this is this, this guard comes to know Jesus, becomes a follower, tells his family, and his family become followers, and they're baptized. Well, the word gets out to the Roman authorities, and they're coming to put Paul back in jail. But here's what you don't see absolutely in Scripture. Paul is actually a Roman citizen, and it was illegal for what they did to condemn him in public and stone him. And so he's like, hey, you're going to come arrest me? You're going to let me go or whatever you're going to do? Come and get me, big boy. And so they bring him in front of the authorities. And this is where we pick up in chapter 17. And I got to go fast. The preacher of me preached a lot. Okay. So listen fast to this. We're going to go through this if you're taking notes. All right. So we see in, in chapter 22, this is what Paul says. He says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown. But here's what I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man Every nation of mankind, talking about Adam, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps fill their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring. And being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. We can't put God as a materialistic object, an image formed by the art and the imagination of man. Verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, that's Jesus, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead, that our hope and salvation in Jesus, we can have hope and confidence because he was resurrected. So here's three quick things, really, really quick things that I want you to see in this for us to say, okay, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What does that mean? The first thing is that God is eternal. God has always been and he always will be. We cannot put God in a box. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's all present. And so what Paul is saying, he says in verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he's the king over it, does not live in temples created by man. He's not inside just the church. 
You know, I think it's funny that people, they come to church, they're like, let's get married in a church. Let's, let's behave in the church. But then get in your car and it's all hell breaks loose, <laughs> you know? I mean, God's everywhere. I always love when I get in a car with somebody and they're listening to something inappropriate, okay? And they're like, oh, sorry, pastor, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, okay, man, whatever, you know? But here's the deal. God is everywhere. And we attempt, and Paul even says, we try to think about it on our terms and in our infinite knowledge, um, or finite knowledge, I mean, and we try to put God in a box, but God is eternal. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He created all things. There are no limits to him. You and I have limits. Everything in the natural order has limits. You know, a fish cannot live in a pasture just as a sheep can't live in a lake. Now, an elephant's a mighty animal, but you're not going to see it fly. Sorry if you love Dumbo, okay? You're not going to see it fly. We have, you and I, as human beings, we have limits in our gender, in our talent, in our strength, in our wisdom. God is not like that. He is eternal. And we see that Paul is showing that he is huge. He is vast. He is so much bigger than our minds can, can um, think on, on this. We depend on him. I wrote this down. Few believers suffer from a God who's too big. However, many suffer from a God who is too small. Now think about this, because for you and I, this is foundational to Christian beliefs. That if we don't realize the power and the nature of who God is, that he is big and we are not. That this world does not revolve around you and me, but him and his sovereignty and him as king and Lord. It puts us in our place real quick. But if we have a hard time understanding that or struggle with putting God where he rightfully deserves, then for you and me, we will struggle with other biblical theology like the Trinity, the resurrection, grace, forgiveness, all of those things. We have to realize God is so much bigger than our minds can fathom. So that's because he is eternal. Second, God is uniquely powerful. Paul says, um, he, he isn't served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. I love what the psalmist says. This is in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork or the works of his hands, your translation might say. Day to day, he pours out speech and night to night, he reveals knowledge. There's, there is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And in them, he has set a tent to the sun. It is, by, it is not by accident that everything in creation points to a glorious creator, God. From the beautiful mountain ranges to beautiful sunsets and oceans and whatever. Go to Fiji or whatever. I've never been there. I've seen it on Google, okay? But you see all this creation, whether you are out looking and seeing it, when you look up at the stars and you're like, man, that is just awesome. It was created by God. Paul says because of that, you and I are without excuse. That there are people everywhere. This message of his creation has spanned throughout all of history to every single person, to every ethnicity and race, that there is a creator. Now, they might not know specific revelation about Jesus and his work on the cross, but they know that there is a God. There is a bigger being creator in our world. And so because of that, um, here, here's a great, great thing. I mean, 
Think about this, believer, non-believer, obedient, you know, uh, rebel, whatever the case may be, we know that there's gotta be some kind of order to our world. There's no, this is just me, I'm gonna get on soapbox for a second. There is no way a child can be born. It doesn't matter the gender, if a, if a child is born with disabilities or not. It is a incredible creation from God. And how that can uniquely be made and just be created by chance or chaos is it's because God is uniquely powerful. And because of his design, man, he shows who he is in this. So if you're taking notes, God's power and revelation and creation discriminates against no one. And everybody sees it. Everybody knows in this. And then third and finally that God, I love this. God is knowable. As Paul says, they should seek God and perhaps they'll feel their way toward him and find him because he's not very far from us. He's not far from you. He's not far from me. God is knowable. He wants to know us. He designed us for you and me to know him, to worship him, to serve him and everything that we do. And even though he is huge and eternal and he is so powerful, he wants you and I to be in this relationship with him. But here's the problem we face this thing called sin. And sin diverts our hearts. It diverts our faith. And so God had to make his presence undeniably visible throughout all creation to say there is a God. And you and I can choose to run from it and to think, you know what, that's just by chance. That's just by this or that. But it's from a God who wants a relationship with you and me. The prophet Jeremiah wrote down these words of God, said this, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things, I delight, declares the Lord. Let us not boast about our power, our might, our pride, our knowledge, but in our belief and our conviction as God, as Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And this morning, you and I are invited into this incredible story. That same God, who designed all things for a reason to glorify him. He designed you and I to glorify him. And that only happens through an intimate relationship, one-on-one -on -one with him. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but this is a great opportunity. Don't, don't leave here without knowing for sure. You know what? He is Lord. He is Father Almighty in my life. He is creator and maker of heaven and earth and of all things. And he is Lord of my life. And if that's you this morning, Come talk to me. I'll be down here during this closing song. You can see me afterwards. Man, we want to invite you into that relationship this morning. Let's pray and then we will we'll worship. Father, we are thankful that even amidst our, ourselves, our sin and our failures, you create us and desire a relationship with us. We don't deserve it, but through your son, Jesus, you made a way. You appointed him to come so that we can be reconciled in our relationship to you. And so, Father, we worship you because of that.
we, we join together this morning collectively and we worship that we believe that you are creator, you are Lord, that you made everything and everything exists to bring you glory. Let us do that with our lives. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Hey, let's stand church. Let's close and worship together.